My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see everybody, but especially those who are brand new to us today. Thank you very much for making us your church home for an hour. And those of you online, welcome. We are sure glad to see you. We're going to study today what it means to encounter God through Scripture. Encountering God through Scripture. Turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter... <laughs> I'm going to get it right. I, I wrote this sermon, so I think I know what I'm... 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Apostle Peter states, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Lord, help us as we study your word. I don't know that I have lived in a time where people or myself need to be more anchored. Boy, the winds have been blowing for a long time and they have been blowing strong to try to pour us, pull us away from the moorings that allow us to feel stability that is only found in God. Everything in the world, he says in Hebrews, will be shaken. That can be shaken. And that's everything in the world. The only thing that cannot be shaken is the foundation of this word, who he is in our lives. Stability is found there. And if we do not continually and intentionally anchor ourselves by and to this word, we will find ourselves a little adrift. Maybe not 180 degrees, but two or three degrees to the left or right. And you go long enough wrong, you wind up way off. You know, if you start in New York and your intent is to go to L.A. and you wind up starting just three degrees, two to three degrees off in New York, you'll wind up someplace in Portland. You're going in the general direction, but you don't hit your destiny. You don't hit your destination. Course correction is really important to always be looking at that which is important to your progress so that you don't find yourself having to go longer at the end than you would have in the middle. Going from Portland down to L.A., 600 miles. If you were corrected in Indiana, it might just take you a couple of minutes to get back on course. Having the word of God as your anchor in the midst of trying times, times that seem to promote fear and insecurity more than faith and stability, in trying times allows you the privilege of staying the course. There's a video on YouTube <clears throat> I, I couldn't get it today, but it's really interesting. A plane's landing in Chicago. You know, Chicago is known as the Windy City. And, and it, is, it is 
never more typified than when you see this video of planes landing sideways. Landing sideways. And then having to straighten out once their wheels hit the ground. Literally. <laughs> Coming in like this. And you say, ah! When they land, they're going to go like that. And they don't. But they have to land sideways. Because the winds are so strong that the only way the plane can keep going forward is if the plane faces the winds that are going in this direction, but still go this direction. Sometimes you've got to face the adversity, but intend to continue to go straight. Are you listening to me? You don't ignore the, diversity, the adversity. You don't act like it's not there. You face it, but you do not become deterred from your direction. You continue to go forward. And that is why, in our best attempt, which is never perfect, we are continuing to church plant even in a, a, a pandemic. We bought a building in a pandemic. I feel like as a leader, I'm going this way, but I'm watching over here. Continuing to do this, but watching, saying, hmm, no, you're not going to deter me. I'm going this way. I may not be going as fast as I would like, but that way I'm going. And however slowly I am deterred because of you, I know my God can speed me up to get where I need to be, but I am not going to stop going that way. You've got to make some decisions in times of difficulty. You've got to be anchored in this word. Five things in this passage uh, I want to talk to you about. One, what it means to have grace and peace a part of your life. Two, the promise of power. Three, the promise of being granted some things. And then we get the, the privilege of understanding what it means to be partakers of his kindness and goodness. And then we are privileged to know what it means to escape from the difficulties that might face us. One, peace and grace. Peter states, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we look at the beginning of passages, especially the beginning of books, that sound like they are just a spiritual hello, and we read past them very quickly because we want to get to the meat of the passage. And we miss out on the real blessing that is found there in the writer's writing. Peter is just not trying to give you a, a real spiritual salutation, a Holy Ghost welcome. He's really meaning some things here. I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you. I need grace and I need peace. But I need more of them than I presently have. And I don't need them just added to me. I need it multiplied. That's how messed up bread is. I need grace and peace multiplied. What is grace? Grace is the ability to do what you could not do on your own and become what you could not become on your own. It is the unmerited favor of God to humanity so that they can accomplish his will in the earth. There's no way any of us can do what God wants us to do on our own. Anyone ever tried? If you have, you know you failed. We do not have it on the inside of us to accomplish his will in the earth. And I'm talking about the will that he thinks is, 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 is without flaw. There's no hindrance in it. There's no, eh, good try. 
It is a well done after we have finished. The only way that can happen is if he empowers us to do so, inspires us in our mind with the right kind of thought, motivates our heart so that our heart is involved in worship as we do it, not in self-gratification, and strengthens our lives so that we can accomplish that which he desires. The only way it can happen is if he does all three of those in us. That is grace, and I need it. I need it multiplied to me because I am so messed up. I just don't have it within me to accomplish all that he desires. But if he lives within me, I can get it done. I can make good decisions. I can, I can find myself accomplishing more with him than without him. And in a fresh 24, looking back on it and saying, I don't know how that happened. God, to God be the glory. And the good thing is, all of you know what I'm not. Therefore, if he does anything in me, you know it's him. If any good happens as a result of our congregation, it's because he did it, because you know me. I'm glad you didn't laugh too much. Grace, I need peace. I need that multiplied. Wow. In the storms of life, you need peace. Peace does not come because of the absence of conflict or confusion or chaos. Peace comes in the midst of it. The kind of peace God grants is that which he affords us when things are really messed up, when chaos reigns. Mark chapter 4. The disciples are in the boat, having been told by Jesus to go to the other side. And these are seasoned fishermen. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They know when it's not a good time to sail. And they probably would have said something to Jesus had they known what was coming. Saying, you know, we probably ought to wait a few minutes because that storm looks really bad because there was a storm coming. But because we have no conversation like that, we get the sense that they didn't see anything on the horizon. They get in the boat. Jesus says, we're going to the other side. All of a sudden, out of no place, a storm comes up. The kind of storm that scares the disciples who are seasoned fishermen, at least some of them. And all of them are bailing as quickly as they possibly can, with as much strength as they possibly can. But more water is in than out. They cannot get it out of the boat quick enough. And where is Jesus? You would think that all hands should be on deck at that point, literally. And somebody would, everybody would be lending some of their strength to assist because the boat is going down and the disciples are fearful for their lives. Yet Jesus is asleep in the hull. He's not helping at all. Have you ever found circumstances to be so overwhelming and thought that Jesus was asleep? You, 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 may, you may not say it, but it sounds something like this. God, where are you? Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. I'm going through some things here. You don't seem to be able to find him as well as you would like. He doesn't seem to be as responsive to your cries. At least not doing what you think needs to be done to fix the problem. He's asleep. And the longer you wait without seeing him intervene like you want him to intervene, the more anxious and mad you get. Hey! I mean, your prayers become more, more animated. It's no longer very uh, pontificous. Now it's, Lord! It's a cry. It's not a supplication. Peter looks at Jesus' sleep, and he says this. He doesn't say, please help. He's already gone past that. He says, 
do you care? It's no longer asking to him to assist. It's questioning his love. May I help all of us, including me, never ask him that question. He said, do you care that we are perishing? Do you, do you see we're going down? Never ask him that question. Because of the present circumstance in which you find yourself, because you've, you should have had it already answered. The cross ought to be enough yes for you. Do you care? You never ask that question again. Please, I beg you, don't be that disrespectful. Jesus doesn't answer the question, and he probably won't answer yours than when you ask. He gets up on the bow of the boat and does this. Shh. Hush, be still. The winds and the waves calm immediately. The waves go from 10 feet to nothing, and the winds immediately stop. The disciples soaking wet. <sighs> Look at him, and all they can say is, Who are you that the winds and the waves listen to your voice? Who are you? Shocked. They marveled at the miracle, but I don't think they marveled at the process. The chaos was ruling around them, reigning. But on the inside, Jesus had complete peace such that he could sleep through their difficulty. And he knew that, boys, I ain't going down. I'm not going down. And if, if I'm going down, this will become the first submarine. <laughs> but just to help you, I'm going to let the peace that is on the inside of me rule the chaos that's on the outside. That's why things stopped. The authority of what was on the inside came out of him. Now, it's not always that when you are peaceful that the circumstances will change around you immediately. I haven't found that to be the case all the time. Sometimes yes, other times no. But when the peace on the inside of me is sitting on the throne of my heart rather than fear and insecurity, the stuff that's going on around me just doesn't matter near as much. And I can then sleep with Jesus in the hall because I know this. I'm not going down. If I'm going down, this is becoming the first submarine. Are you listening to me? One of the other works. This does not. Bail! 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 That doesn't work. I need peace multiplied to me, not added. There are times when I am so fearful, so insecure, bad news comes to me, and it takes me 24 hours to try to process well-defined faith. God, I need peace multiplied to me. Don't overlook these wonderful salutations at the beginning of a letter. But how does it come? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Where do you get that? Where do you get that knowledge? By reading your Bible 
every day. <laughs> That's where you get the knowledge. If you don't read your Bible, if you don't know what God has done in the midst of difficulty like that through which you're going right now, because there's very few things, in fact, hardly anything that you're going through that isn't found in the Bible at some level. Somebody's been through what you're going through or what you will go through. And if you can't find something in Scripture that, 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 you, that you can pull up on a regular basis that allows you to be encouraged and peaceful in the midst of difficulty, then you are going to always wonder if, not when. God, can you? Do you have the ability? Do you care? Those questions will be at the front of your mind and you will battle through to try to find the faith necessary to believe that he is able to sustain you through it or help you overcome it. One of the two. But if you don't read your Bible, you won't have those answers. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord is found in Scripture. Read your Bible every day. It is not just a religious thing I tell you to do. It's your lifeline. It's your, your hope for sanity in a crazy world. It allows you to believe beyond what the, the headlines tell you. You don't ignore them. You just believe other. Grace and peace be multiplied. In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted you some things. God's divine power has granted you great things, and you need to be able to access it. He did not just come with information to save you. He came with power to deliver you. He came with power to engage with you so you may engage with the world. Paul said, I did not come with word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power. We are called to be witnesses, not just by word, but by life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. His divine power has granted us some things. His divine power has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Do you know you've got all you need of God? You will never have more than what you have right now. Ever. Now, I know some of y'all say, well, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> I don't feel like I got enough of them. His gifting is different than his person. His ability is gift different than his person. His bestowing of attributes uh, like grace and peace are different than his person. You will never have more of him than you have now. Why? Because when he came to dwell on the inside of you, gave you salvation, allowed you to experience what it means to be born again, he didn't come with part of himself. And that's really an oxymoronic statement. Because God doesn't come in parts. He only comes in whole. Now, it's hard for us to figure, figure out what that means because we understand God to be really big. So if he, if he lives on the inside of me, how can all that bigness fit? Because I'm a real finite person. How can infinite live in the finite? Well, we, we generally only think of infinite in, in the in the terms of being 
without bounds and large, meaning you, you, you can't come to the end of counting. It just keeps on going. Integers keep going. But it's not just, if, if he's infinite, it's not just how big he is. It's also how small he can make himself to fit on the inside of you. See, infinity goes to the ultimate degree of largeness, but also to the ultimate degree of smallness. It goes both directions. And it has no boundary, or else it's no longer infinite. And this is one of the attributes of God. He is infinite in his being. There is no place where he is not. He has no boundaries. The universe does. Cosmologists say it is still growing and it is accelerating in its growth. But there's a boundary where it's not and it's growing into something. That's not God. He is every place. He has no bounds. But if he has no bounds in largeness, he has no bounds in smallness. And so he can fit all of himself on the inside of you. I know that messes up your brain. But this is the beauty of understanding what the born-again experience is. When you got right with God and he came to live on the inside of you, you ought to shout about this in a minute because it's going to get really, really good and I'm kind of prepping you for this really good point. If he came to live on the inside of you, all of him came to live on the inside of you. All of him. Now the beauty is this, his infiniteness allows for all of him to live on the inside of you and me. I know. It's just a I know, but that's the beauty of our God. And he has granted you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And all those things are, are all you need in order to do well and be well. Down here. Now you think, well, I've got everything. If I've got everything that pertains to life and godliness, why doesn't it look like it? Well, the things that you have, I'm not just talking about his person, but I'm talking about the stuff he bestows. The things that you have that pertain to life and godliness are on the inside of you, but they're kind of like in seed form. On the inside of a seed is everything that is needed to produce what that seed is supposed to be. Everything. The only thing that is lacking is not that which is on the inside of the seed to produce. It's the environment that allows it to become. Are, are you listening to me? So if you have not experienced all the life and godliness you'd like that is on the inside of you, it's not the seed's fault. It's not the seed's fault. It's not the seed's fault. Try planting a seed on concrete. It's got all the stuff on the inside to become what it's supposed to be, but the environment isn't quite right. Now you put it in dirt, give it a little water, a little, little, little sunlight, boo! You got something happening. So you got all you need, but there may be, may be too much of you. The, the, the environment, just you have to be a cultivator of that which God has put on the inside of you. Are, are you listening? That's how you access the power. He has granted you this power that pertains, that gives you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You access the power by understanding what it means to cultivate the environment so that the seed can grow up, so the power of his life and the power of his godliness can be yours. 
the life that is on the inside of you and then the godliness that displays the life on the inside of you can be evident to everybody. But you've got to cultivate that seed. I've started my garden again. <laughs> Yesterday was the first day. I'm about three weeks out. I'm, I'm too late. I, there's some stuff I can't plant anymore, but I started it. And yesterday I was out there with one shovel full after another, turning over dirt. It's going to be about a week before I can plant the plant. So again, I'm three weeks behind. But I'm out there. And I'm working it and working it and working it. Why? Because I could go ahead and plant a seed in the midst of the weeds that had become my garden from last year. It is overgrown with everything that I did not plant. I did not intend. I don't want. Everything on the inside of me says, why don't you just take some of that, uh, that weed killer stuff and start spraying? Because I have to eat what's coming afterwards. That's why. The environment I have to be mindful of. And I realize, well, I can't, I can't put poison in my garden because I'm going to eat it. That's not good. My, are you listening to me? You can't put poison in your garden because you're going to eat it. You've got to put right stuff in your garden. You can't put things that are already competing with the nutrients in the soil for the stuff that's important to, to help your plants grow. You can't put your plant in that. So there is no other way around this. You've got to till the soil. You've got to figure out how to take that stuff that is no longer there and pull it out. Work. It's a lot of work being a Christian. A lot of work trying to figure out how to get your garden to be singular in its purpose. The heart of your soil. soil. Heart of your soil. Soil of your heart to be singular in its purpose. You don't want things in there you don't want. So you have to figure out how to be a really good cultivator and pull out the stuff that is, that is an impediment to the things you do want. It takes work. Thirdly, he's granted us his precious and magnificent promises. Everything that pertains to life and godliness so that by them you may have access to the precious and magnificent promises. Again, where are the precious and magnificent promises found? In his word. You want to encounter God? You want to see him in your life? Get in his Bible. Read about who he is. Understand. Don't just take a once a week message and think you got enough. Listen to me. I'm, I'm grateful for the stage and pulpit that gives you good information on a regular basis. It feeds you, and that's what we're supposed to do. I am so grateful. But this is rain. It's not stream water. For your benefit, it's rain. And you get it once a week. You come on Wednesday night, you get it twice a week. <laughs> stream water is doing your devotions every day. It's planting yourself by a stream so that even though you like what's happening from the stage... It is not absolutely critical for your survival that you get it. This is icing on the cake. This is the kind of stuff that helps you understand better what you're supposed to do, not only what you're supposed to do. You need to get in your Bible regularly and plant your tree by the rivers of living water and let your root system go deep in there so that you are not dependent on me to give you your direction every week. I'm just supposed to help a little. You and Jesus are supposed to mostly figure it out. I just minimize my influence in your life. Most pastors won't do that. 
I shouldn't be that important to you. And if you're looking for me in the context of this church to be the most important voice in your life, I shouldn't be that either. I am an important voice in your life, not the. We have some really good presenters, and your ears ought to be open to hear whatever God is saying. But regardless of how good we might present, how well we might serve you, we should not be your only supply. You ought to get in your Bible every day and let your root system grow deep in the stream of his word to get the precious and magnificent promises. They are valuable, and they, magnificent means beauty, beauty that, is, that is magnified. So it's a, it's, it's a sense that these promises are not only sure and that God never lies, but they are really, really wonderful for you. They are helpful to you, and they are supposed to be resplendent in beauty. You ought to enjoy them. But if you don't know they are there, you won't know what to believe for. You need his precious and magnificent promises when it comes to the idea of believing for your children. When it seems like the entire context of what they're doing is telling you they're going the wrong direction. You need them when you need to talk to God about your marriage. It doesn't just need to be a, oh, Lord, it's just so, uh-uh. Lord, I know you put us together. And even, even if we had more say in being together than you, what we've done is be together under the covenant of what marriage is supposed to be. So now we may not have been the idea of what you thought about when two people ought to come together. But we are now. We are now. You are now. Yes, you are. Uh, 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 uh. No, no. Once you say I do, you got the right one now, baby. You needed to rethink it way before, but now you have that one? You in it. And so there's, there's no legitimate way out except by death. There are other ways out, but they aren't legitimate. They don't have God's stamp of approval. They might have his okay, his, per, his per, permission, but not his approval. And so you need to figure out what are the promises that God has for my relationship in this Bible so I can believe him beyond what I see and feel. Your job, your finances, your health. You need to believe him in your health. If you believe him in your health, about your, what, what the Bible says about your body, you might not need to believe him in your health when you're sick. I'm just saying, some people wind up in a hospital bed because they shot holes in their own boat. And I am not critical. I'm just reporting. We are very mindful as a pastoral staff that people wind up in difficult situations and we are compassionate and merciful and all we want to do is see them be better. But if you can treat your body better at 20, you'll be better at 50. If you don't treat your body well at 20 and you keep treating it bad all the way through to 50, you won't be as well at 50 as you would have been if you treated your body well at 20 all the way through. You won't. You just won't. And the Bible will help you do that. It'll talk about how important it is to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And that godliness is not just being somebody who is godliness. That godliness is staying long enough so that you can be godly for a long time. 
being on the planet in health and strength. Now, that has nothing to do with genetics. And I don't have very good genetics. My parents did the best they could, but they inherited what they got. I have three or four generations in a row of people who were insulin-dependent diabetics. My grandfather died of pancreatic cancer. My father died of lung cancer. My mother died of a stroke, many strokes, M-I-N-I and M-A-N-Y from diabetes. I love them with all my heart, but I realize they are me. That's what made me up. Lord, help. Help, Jesus, help, help, help. And so around about 35, I took some measures. I said, I am not going that direction. I'm not. Now, I can't do anything about the enemy attacking me, beginning to level his blows at me so that my health is, is deterred, like a Job situation. I can't do anything about that. I just have to depend on the grace of God. But I can do some things that, that are important to my own well-being by making sure I am a good steward of this body. I can't. My daughter looks at me and she said, Daddy, why do you work out so hard? I said, it's health insurance for you. <laughs> so you will never have to care for me, ever. I'll never be in a bed by my own doing, ever. I love you like that. It gives us the idea about what it means to fortify the promises that are in this Bible with respect to our own health, to understand what they are and put them in our life. I've, I've preached too long already. Four, partakers of the divine nature. Oh, wow. I've talked about what it means to have God on the inside of you, but, but you, have, you don't know how, we don't know how privileged we are to not just have to believe in the theology in order to access God. We partake of his nature his character we get that's what the fruit of the spirit is it's the character of almighty god we get to be like him we don't just get to know him like that we actually get to partake of him and and become one with him in that so much so that when people see us they are supposed to see him that's how much of his nature he wants us to represent partakers of the divine nature all this comes through our understanding of how the word gives us that privilege and then lastly we get the opportunity to make sure that we stay away from lust so that we are now given an opportunity to escape the difficulties the corruption that is in this world by lust we not only get so many additions to our life power life and godliness divine promises magnificent promises we get all of this benefit but then he gives us the 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 the, the opportunity to escape the bad he says if we use these things we will escape the corruption that is in the world by lust i'm looking at our doors and each of our doors all of them have big red signs over the top of them that say exit that lets you know that if things get get tough in here if something happens, you know how to get out. They are required by our society, by our government, to have them on every door, every public spot. You don't have them in your house because you know the way out. But people that might come in that don't know, now they know. God has exit signs every place so that you do not have to, to submit yourself to the world system nor the lusts therein. You can get out. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13. For our God is faithful. When it comes to temptation, he will always provide a way of escape so that you might bear up under it. And there is no temptation that has come upon you except that which is common to man. So there's nothing that's coming on you by way of temptation that hasn't already come on somebody else. Nothing. Meaning, if, you, if you're able to look and kind of rewind the videotape, you say, oh, that's how they beat that. Okay, that, 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 that's good. I, I know exactly what to do there. Who looks at a videotape of instruction that tells you how not to do something and then you do it like that? Who does that? I mean, you'll find someone on YouTube to tell you how not to do something. But why, do you, why, why would you look at it to do the thing you're not supposed to do? Nobody does that. But we Christians do. We look at people in the Bible like Samson who failed over and over and over again. And we think, okay, got it. And somehow or another, we don't use that as a lesson on what not to do. We wind up in the same spot. I'm not saying we, we take those lessons and try to uh, learn from them and uh, to do them. I'm just saying we ignore them. It's important for us to read this Bible and understand what it means for us to do the right thing. We get to escape the corruption that is in this world by lust. This is how I encounter God on a regular basis, through his word. Are there many other ways I can do it? Yes. He speaks to me through prophets like Pastor Jim, who is a prophet of our church. Thank God in heaven for him. Don't know where we would be without him. He speaks to me sometimes audibly, sometimes in the still small voice in my soul. He, I encounter him through circumstances where I see doors opening that would not have opened had he not done it. I encounter God a lot of ways, but never in a more important way than through his word. Get in his Bible. Encounter him. Find him there. And watch how your life will be more fruitful and better different. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Help us as a people to find you through your word in Jesus' name.